Well, I'd like to encourage you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, as well as the book of Acts chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 3, as well as the book of Acts chapter 6. Our scripture reading will come from two passages this morning regarding church leadership. Church leadership. Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy 3. We'll be reading from 1 Timothy 3 first, verses 8 through 13. First Timothy chapter three, verses eight through thirteen. It reads Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double tongued or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So, the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon. Parmenaeus and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Let's bow together in a word of prayer before we begin our study once again. Our Father in heaven, how great is your word because you are a great God. We pray, Father, that your word would be brought to bear on our understanding that we might know and understand 
The function and the role of leaders in your church, for this church belongs to you. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. On the back cover of the book entitled Spiritual Leadership, J. Oswald Sanders, it reads, The need for talented, vigorous leaders in the church today cannot be overemphasized. The world situation demands a strong voice from the church, and this can only come from leaders guided by God and devoted to Jesus Christ. Unquote. The qualifications for spiritual leadership is not a matter of personality, as we've looked at in the past couple of weeks. It is not a matter of boldness. It is not a matter of wealth. Not a matter of willingness or, person, or personal appearance. Not a matter of status. The overriding qualification for those who would be spiritual leaders in God's church is that of character. Character qualities that characterize a man of God. This is what the world needs. Men of God who will rise up and lead. Men of God who will stand up for what is right. Men of God who will be people who will not compromise and who will speak the word of God because they Live the Word of God through godly character. Because godly character is what carries a person and their testimony as they lead the church. George Liddell, who was the vice chancellor of Oxford University and dean of Christ Church in Oxford, wrote of the power of the testimony of a godly man who has a godly character. And he wrote these words. He said, give me a man of God. One man whose faith is master of his mind and I will right all wrongs and bless the name of all mankind. Give me a man of God, one man whose tongue is touched with heaven's fire and I will flame the darkest hearts with high resolve and clean desire. Give me a man of God, one man, one mighty prophet of the Lord. And I will give you peace on earth, bought with a prayer and not a sword. Give me a man of God, one man, true to the vision that he sees. And I will build your broken shrines and bring the nations to their knees. We've been studying aspects of spiritual leadership in the church. And it is imperative that we have leaders it is imperative that we have leaders because the church cries out for people who will be men of God, who will take a stand as we have been looking at the qualifications of an elder. In our scripture reading today, we come to Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy 3, and we look at the roles of two other categories. One broad category, that of a deacon, deaconesses. We look at their role as well as their qualifications here in these texts. Now, there's been some debate in Acts chapter 6 as to whether or not these particularly refer to deacons. Because, you see, in that particular passage, there is never the mention of them as being deacons. And furthermore, that particular example was written way before, many years before Paul wrote 1 Timothy. And what the qualifications would be. 
But most commentators would consider that their role in which they took to alleviate the burden of ministry on the apostles is a good model. And provide for us examples of what a deacon is to do. Because in the church today, some believe that the deacons are merely to be the managers of a facility. Or to be those who were to be the church custodians. Or to be those who would be the finance managers. Or to be those who would be in a role to place a check and balance upon the elders. None of those is a biblical picture of what deacons are to do and be. And so as we look at this biblical picture of what deacons and their role is, we look at Acts chapter 6 as an example, perhaps, again, perhaps not technically deacons, but those who would function in much similar ways. The first role of a deacon and their responsibilities plainly seen is that they are to alleviate some of the responsibilities of ministry from that of the elders. At the time of the apostles, it says in Acts chapter 6, there came a complaint. There came a complaint in the congregation by the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews about the distribution of food, you see, to the widows. Hellenistic Jews were, they were Greek-speaking they had immigrated to Jerusalem from foreign lands. They spoke, they spoke Greek. And there were those who were Hellenistic or those who were uh, Palestinian Jews who were there. Culturally different. All Jews, but culturally different. And there was a dispute because of the distribution of food that was happening. The congregation was growing. The responsibilities were greater. And there was a problem. There was a problem. The Palestinian Jews, they, they are the ones that controlled the funds that were to be distributed. There was some complaint. And so in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, it says, The twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God to serve tables. Or as the NIV says, It is not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. The apostles had the God-given responsibility. In the leadership of the church, their priorities were prayer and the ministry of the Word of God. Because there are all sorts of things that we can get involved with. Those who are leaders, those who are elders in the church. Sometimes we look at churches and pastors and they're involved in many things that perhaps they ought not to be. Sometimes by necessity, sometimes because there are needs there. But that is where those who come alongside of those who are pastors and elders take up those responsibilities in order to alleviate them so that they might be more free, more free for the word of God and that of prayer. As important as many things are, the distribution of food is not the primary thing. We need food to survive, but Moses reminded the people of Israel that man does not live by bread alone. Deuteronomy 8.3 And John 6.27 says, Do not work for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. People cannot live without the Word of God because their souls will dry up. Their souls will dry up. 
Physically, they can survive. But the heart's motivation in being filled with the truth of the word of God that endures, that gives life, that gives purpose and meaning, that gives drive, is the saving message of the gospel of Christ and the truth therein. So people need to believe and understand what the Word of God says. And so the priority of the leadership is to be that of the Word of God and of prayer. The Word of God and of prayer. And that is the role of those who would come alongside to alleviate many of the things that are demands and to be those who would come alongside to free the leaders to be involved in the primary things. Secondly, it says in verse 3, these deacons are, or these, those who come alongside of the leaders are to be godly people. They are to be godly people. The apostle said, look, brethren, select from among you. There was participation. There was participation among them to choose people who were of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, who were wise, that they might put in charge of this task. Now, this wasn't just anyone. This wasn't just those who said, well, I'm open to doing it. They weren't those who were just people who were available. They were people who were upstanding, outstanding, filled with the Spirit, full of wisdom. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. It's notable, isn't it, that they chose godly people to serve food. They didn't simply choose any old body or hire them. They were characterized by a good reputation. What did people say about this particular individual? What kind of reputation did they have? Do people speak well of them? What would people say about you? What would people say about you behind your back? What would they say is your testimony for Christ? These people were also full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. They were believers from within the church. They were spirit-filled people who were led by God. They weren't self-sufficient people who didn't yield themselves to God. No, they were filled with the Spirit and they were wise. They were full of faith, it also says. Full of faith. Able to see the possibilities. Able to trust God with the future. And to say, by God's grace, we can do this or do that because they have a great God. But thirdly, they were to be deacons. Not only those who were, who were alleviating ministry responsibilities from the elders, not only those who were to be godly people, but they were to be, in one aspect, very humble servants. Humble servants. Godly individuals who were humble, willing to do a humble task, willing to do things that were small. The word deacon itself simply means serving. Serving. A willingness to get dirty and to do the things that others might not be willing to do. You know, on many of these short-term mission trips that we have been on, many times there are people there that are not the most attractive people whether it's in one country or another, many of them, especially those who are children. They may not be clean or they may not have the best sanitation. 
But to be willing to go and to love them with compassion and to hug them. I still remember when we were in Uganda, they told us, what do you do with many of these orphans? And many of them would come and their nose would be running and they'd have all of this dirt with them. And and the missionaries would tell us the best thing you could do for them is just go hold their hand, give them a hug or keep them close and to play with them and to minister with them. The willingness to do the small things, not to go over and say, you know what, I've got a message to tell you. I'm going to teach you all of these things, but to love people. And that's the fourth thing that we see in Acts. These were ministries to people. You know, some people I've met in seminary, they they, they love the word of God, but all they want to do is they just want to just want to teach They just want to teach. And I agree that is a great priority. But there also has to be that heart that loves people, that wants to spend time with people. Just talking with them, ministering to them the Word of God, as well as the willingness to do the small things. Because ministry is about people. Ministry is about people. But what are the character qualifications of a person who would be a deacon? What would be the character qualifications of a person who would be a deacon? 1 Timothy chapter 3. It tells us that these individuals in this particular office are to be, likewise, must be men of dignity. Must be men of dignity, a person who is worthy of respect, a person who is worthy of respect. It doesn't mean somebody who's joyless, but it means that this person is not flippant. It means that this person can be serious. It does not mean that they are are always joyless with some stone faced caricature. Richard Rackham in the Westminster Commentaries expresses the thought, quote, they must be of good character and that's certified by the public testimony. The words respectable and honorable also help convey the meaning of a person whose moral and spiritual character evokes esteem from others. So, deacon must be a man who is known and respected by the congregation Stephen, one of the seven who is described in Acts 6, was honorable and respected by all. So ask yourself, is this person respectable? Is this person respectable? Are they worthy of respect? Secondly, they are not to be double-tongued. Not double-tongued. And that word means you say one thing to one person and you turn around and say one thing to another person. They are not to be like that. They are to be consistent in their speech. They are to have integrity. They are to speak what is true, speak what is honest. They are a person who does not deceive, a person who does not exaggerate or lie, any type of insincerity, any type of manipulation. They are not to be double-tongued, but they are to be sincere, honest in heart. Thirdly, they are not to be addicted to much wine. Addicted to means to turn one's mind to. It means to occupy oneself with. In other words, they are not to be in the habit of drinking. Not to be in the habit of drinking. Scripture reminds us 
The book of Proverbs says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, lest they drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. In the book, Ministers of Mercy, the New Testament deacon, it says, Drunkenness has ruined countless lives. It's commonly reported that nearly half of the murders, suicides, and accidental deaths in America are related to alcohol. One in four families has some problem with alcohol, making alcohol one of the largest health problems in America. The misery and outbreak that alcoholism has caused multitudes of families is beyond imagination. It reduces life expectancy. It breaks up families. It destroys people financially. It's a moral and spiritual problem of the greatest magnitude. No one who has worked with people or families who are its victims joke about its destructive power, unquote. And as we saw in the qualifications of an elder, person, person is not to be addicted to much wine. They are not to be people who are in the habit of drinking. Their association, although it may be fine, may be fine to consume alcohol. It's not a sin to consume alcohol. It is a sin to be drunk. But for a leader, even that association, in varying degrees, may be too close. And it may be wise many times to avoid. Because there may be others who may struggle with that. They may have come out of a situation in which they were an alcoholic. And the mere whiff of it will cause them to stumble. And wisdom needs to be applied. And here it says that a person who is a deacon is to be wise when it comes to wine, not addicted to much wine. Next, it is a qualification not to be fond of sordid or dishonest gain. Not to be fond or of sordid gain. They must not be thinking of their office as a means to make money. One of the responsibilities of the new church in the New Testament times was that of the handling of finances. Alexander Strzok notes, quote, Nothing so effectively dulls the senses of Christians to the needs of hurting people as love for earthly possessions. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor many years ago, writes, These earthly treasures are so powerful that they grip the entire personality. They grip a man's heart, his mind, and his will. They tend to affect his spirit, his soul, his whole being. Whatever realms of life we may be looking at or thinking about, we shall find these things are there. Everyone is affected by them. They are a terrible danger. Because of the overwhelmingly magnetic power that material possessions have to turn us away from godly compassion and eternal values, our Lord gave stern warnings against the danger of greed. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Do you know when Paul wrote this, 
There's a wonder whether or not perhaps in his mind's eye he was thinking of Judas. Because remember there was a woman who came to Jesus, a woman who came to Jesus and she washed his feet with perfume. In an act of love, Mary had done so to worship the Lord. And it was Judas who spoke up. And Judas said sanctimoniously, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii? That's about 10 months wages. And given to poor people. Now that certainly sounds good. But the problem was, as John mentions in the book of John, chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it, unquote. They are not to be people who are lovers of money, greedy, not fond of sordid gain. Nextly, a deacon is to hold to the faith with a clear conscience. They're to hold to the faith with a clear conscience. They're to keep hold of truths of God with a clear conscience. What was once a mystery is now revealed in the New Testament. That was what is a reference to the mystery. It's important that they hold to the truth of the word of God with a clear conscience. And by implication, what that means is that a deacon is to live by the word of God with a clear conscience. Because the conscience is the sensitive part of our heart that indicates whether or not and it confirms whether or not we do something that is true or right to the word of God or it condemns. A person who is walking with God, their conscience will not condemn them if their conscience is molded by the word of God. It is not indicative always of what is right and wrong, but it is that conscience that we are to keep clear. That they are able to say, you know what, this is the right thing. This is the right thing to do, a deacon is, because the word of God says this. Homer Kent a biblical commentator says, the great truths of the faith are not to be held as theological abstractions, but are to be properly employed in daily life. To hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience is so to live in the light of Christian truth that the enlightened conscience will have no cause to condemn. A pure conscience indicates a pure life. So a deacon is to have a pure life so that they will have a clear conscience. If they don't have a clear conscience, it must mean that there's something wrong in their life. They're to hold fast to the faith with a clear conscience. And then they are to be tested, it says. The Bible says they are to be tested so that they are beyond reproach. When we looked at the qualification of an elder, we looked at what it meant to be beyond reproach. There was no blight in their life. No blight in their life that one might be able to accuse them and say, you know what, this person is characterized by this. Or they have done such a terrible deed that they are what? That they are accused. They are accused and they're characterized by something that is sinful. So what is their background like? What are, well, are they above board? What do people think of them? What kind of testimony do they have? 
That is oftentimes found in this next qualification in verse 12. There are to be husbands of only one wife. Husbands of only one wife. And as just as the case of that of an elder, the qualification literally means a one-woman man. doesn't have reference to that of polygamy because there are many who may have more than that, but they're not qualified. They're to be people who are a one-woman man. One-woman man, meaning that they are faithful and they're morally pure. They're completely committed to one woman, the woman that God has given to them. If they don't, if they're not married, then they are not going to be, they're not going to be people under which this qualification applies. If they're engaged, they're to be completely committed to that person whom they are engaged to. You know, I was reflecting on the fact that I've worked for a number of companies, a number of companies, the large secular companies, that they have a zero-tolerance policy for immoral behavior in the workplace. A zero-tolerance policy for immoral behavior in the workplace. And when there has been an infraction, which I've seen before, that person is fired immediately. They need to pack up their things and leave. Now, if people who are in the world have a zero-tolerance policy for immorality because it affects the company, if they have that kind of uh, standard, how much more then should Christians in the church have such convictions about those who are in leadership in their personal life? It is a non-negotiable for a deacon to be a one-woman man. And so too that of an elder. Nextly, the qualification in verse 12, it says, Good managers of their children and of their own households. Good managers of their children and of their own households. They need to be able to manage their home well. If their home and their family is in disarray, they're not taken care of, the children are not obedient... Their personal belongings are not taken care of. They're not qualified to be deacons. They must have some modicum of administrative skills. They must have some way to keep their family organized and in line in an orderly manner. And so logically so, because they'll be managing the church. They'll be managing people, guiding the church. So, a deacon must be a man of dignity, must be a person who is not double-tongued, must be a person who is not addicted to much wine, must be a person who is not lover of money, not fond of sordid gain, must be a person who is faithful, who holds to the faith with a clear conscience. They must be tested so that they are a person who has a good testimony, who is consistent. They must be a person who doesn't have a blot against their life. They must be the husband of only one wife or a one-woman man. They must be good managers of their children and of their own households. But we see in the Scriptures, too, where it says here that there are, in verse 11, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. This particular Verse indicates that there is another category of those who would be a part of an office in the church, and that is of deaconesses. 
And in regards to deaconesses, you'll find that some, there is some debate as to whether or not these are deaconesses or whether or not these are the wives of the deacons. And I believe this refers to those who are deaconesses. The word likewise there, women must likewise, just as it says that deacons likewise in verse 8, indicate a separate category of people, a separate office, argues for this group to be a distinct group difference from elders and deacons. And another logical conclusion would be that, that there are qualifications here, qualifications, character qualifications of those who would be these women. Now, those who hold that these would be wives of deacons, the conclusion or the question that would be begged is, why are there qualifications for the wives of deacons and not some qualifications of the wives of the elders as we have just looked at from verses 1 through 7? After all, wouldn't those wives be in a position or role that would be even more demanding? There are none. I hold that these are the deaconesses. So we look at their qualifications. It says also that they are to be dignified or worthy of respect. They're to be respectable women. These women are to be respectable in their behavior, respectable in their conduct, respectable in how they conduct themselves. They're not to be people who are silly but live life with sound judgment. They have respectable behavior among the people. They're not to be malicious gossips. Not to be malicious gossips. In fact, Paul tells Titus that they are to be people. Titus chapter 2 verse 3. That they're to, they're to be people who would likely be older women who are reverent in the way they live. Not slanderers. Gene Getz in his book, Elders and Leaders, makes an interesting observation in that he writes, Normally, quote, a man's area of vulnerability is sexual, which relates to the qualification of being a man of one woman. On the other hand, a woman's area of vulnerability is often verbal and inappropriate use of the tongue. Again, this does not mean that a woman is not tempted to be immoral, but her temptation focuses more on inappropriate communication. There are issues that arise. In church leadership, issues that arise, issues of tension, issues of conflict, issues of confidentiality. They are not to be people who are malicious gossips. Thirdly, they are to be temperate. They are to be temperate. Like that of qualifications for elders, deacons are to, deaconesses are to be temperate or well-balanced. They are to have a, a proper perspective on life. They're not to have a soapbox in any one area, but to have a balanced perspective on the big picture. Here it means a mental and emotional sobriety of a person's character, of their, of their speech, of their conduct. It indicates that of being self-controlled, of being able to have a balanced judgment, a freedom from any type of excesses in any particular area means that they have a, an orderly life as well. Fourthly, they're to be faithful. They're to be faithful in all things. Faithful in all things. A person is to be dependable. 
this particular deaconess or whoever it may be, is to be dependable, faithful in the small responsibilities. You ask them to do something, they're able to be faithful and to complete it and to be able to be dependable. They'll follow through. Whether it's a large responsibility or a small one, they'll be found trustworthy, as one translation puts it. You can trust them. And it is earned over time. And Paul summarizes what faithful deacons and deaconesses achieve in verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing, a high standing. Externally, it refers to literally an elevated stand that they're looked upon with respect, with high regard from the people that they lead. And then they have great confidence in the faith. Great confidence in the faith. Those who serve well have great confidence among God's people and in their own faith as they grow and they see God working in and through them. All of these qualifications for deacons and deaconesses are non-negotiables. Those that we nominate for positions of leadership must qualify spiritually in terms of their character. And there is a broad sense As we talked about church leadership, there's a broad sense that we are all leaders in various contexts as parents, as Sunday school teachers, as leaders among your co-workers or your friends. And these qualifications aren't merely things that, well, that belongs to them, but they are to be qualifications that every person strives for. To be blameless, to have a good testimony, to be completely devoted to one's spouse, to be not people who are sordid of fond of sordid gain, to be people who speak with integrity and people who desire to live for God. Those who look to God and God's church are able to see beyond themselves who are aiming to be leaders. And the Bible tells us tells us and reminds us that our lives are but a vapor. Our lives are but a vapor, James says. Here for a little while and then it disappears. And for every person that is here, the question for us is, what are we going to do with this one life that we have? What are we going to do and whom are we going to serve? Because you know what? Every person here serves someone. You either serve yourself Or you serve others to the glory of serving God. Whom do we serve? And what are we going to do with this one short life? And I want to encourage you to consider using it to serve God and to serve people. To count it a privilege to serve the Lord Jesus. To make your one life count. And to rejoice many times, no matter what the difficulty may be. Because the joy is greater. Just as Paul says, his desire, his desire in Philippians chapter 3 would be what? That he might know him and the power of his resurrection. We all want to know that. To have a relationship with God. To yearn for God. To know the power of his resurrection. The future glory and the fellowship, it says, of his sufferings. To be conformed to his death. With being conformed to the likeness of Christ, there will be difficulties in life. With serving God, whether it is here or overseas or in the context of your workplace, there is going to be difficulties. But what a privilege it is. 
What a privilege it is to serve God and to know the fellowship of His sufferings. To give this one life that you have to serve in leading others, whether it be your family, whether it be at your workplace, among students, whether it be in the church. What a privilege it is to be able to step up to the plate and say, God, use me. Here I am. Here I am. Send me. Because whatever position it may be to lead, whether it is in your family, consider it a privilege, not a burden to lead your family, hoping as some I've heard, well, I just can't wait until my kids leave so I can do my own deal. What a privilege it is to lead them to the Savior. What a privilege it is to lead your co-workers to Christ. What a privilege it is to serve in the church and to lead others to knowing God and being able to say what a worthy cause this is. When the apostles preached in Acts chapter 3 and 4, they came and they confronted the religious leaders. The religious leaders said, what? You stop what you are doing. And you know what? happened when they first gave their first message they were beaten they were beaten but what was their response in acts chapter 5 verse 41 they rejoiced because they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name they didn't consider and say oh it's such a burden such a burden their friends didn't say oh why in the world are you preaching to god it was a privilege to be an ambassador of His. And as we look at these qualifications, we think to ourselves, God has called you and me in various positions, whether it is your family, whether it is your work, or whatever context you're in, to lead and to consider it what a privilege it is to help others to know God more. And what a privilege it will be as we look in the future who will lead the church. What a privilege it is to serve our God. Let's bow together in prayer. Our God in heaven, we give you thanks for this one life that we have. You've called us, O oh God, to live a life that is of a living sacrifice wholly devoted to you, that we might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You've called us, O oh Father, to lead others. I pray, O oh Father, that in the context of each and every family, Lord, that every mother and father that is here, that they would step up to lead their children in the knowledge of you. Not simply to bring them here to church, but, Father, to actively teach them each and every day your word. We pray, Father, for those who are involved in other ministries. Oh, God, that you would empower them and strengthen them and encourage them as they lead others. And to strive, oh, Father, to live a godly life as an example. And we pray, Father, for our church as we look to you, that you, O oh God, would select leaders that, Father, it would be a privilege, a true honor to serve, to be filled with the Spirit and to count it worthy. What a blessing it is 
And Father, for your glory, we desire to live. In Jesus' name, amen.